Welcome back once again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg. Ranting at you in the wee hours of May 12th, 2023, as always, from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side. And I'm going to open by uh, once again invoking the famous French saying. And I'm going to attempt to say it in French and doubtless completely mangle it, only because I have no pride. Tout comprendre, c'est tout pardonner. To understand all is to forgive all. And I am invoking this saying because it is total bullshit, and it very blatantly articulates a dangerous fallacy. It is almost certainly not coincidental that Israeli airstrikes on the Gaza Strip have killed children and non-combatants over the past days. And this has coincided with a deadly armed attack on the Griba Synagogue on the Tunisian island of Jerba, North Africa's oldest synagogue, with its foundations dating back more than 2,000 years, maintained by an indigenous Jewish community that has been in Tunisia for millennia and a point of pilgrimage for Jews from throughout the Mediterranean world. Six were killed in the May 10th attack as the shooter opened fire outside the synagogue at Jewish pilgrims who were converging there two pilgrims and three Tunisian police guards were killed, as well as the shooter himself, who was a member of Tunisia's National Guard. Disturbingly, the pilgrimage was for the Lag Abomer Festival, which annually attracts thousands of Jews from across the Mediterranean in a tradition dating back centuries. This year, among the attendees was the historian Deborah Lipstadt, who is the U.S. Special Envoy for Combating Anti-Semitism, along with U.S. Ambassador to Tunisia, Joey Hood. They had been there just hours before the attack. Lag Bomer, which comes 33 days after Passover, has various associations including a commemoration of the Bar Kochba revolt, the last Jewish uprising against the Romans in the second century common era. But it has special significance to followers of Kabbalah, the mystical tradition in Judaism, because it also commemorates the death of Simeon ben Yohai, the purported author of the Zohar, the Book of Splendor, the principal text of the Kabbalah tradition, also in 2nd century Palestine. And unfortunately, the Griba synagogue has been repeatedly targeted for terror over the past generation. This is but the most recent such attack as we shall see. But first, let's take a look at what's been going on in Tunisia over the past year, which is not good. 
And it is especially tragic because Tunisia is where the Arab Revolution began 12 years ago, where it met with its first victory with the toppling of the long-ruling strongman Zin el-Abidin ben Ali in January 2011, and where it really seemed to be successful, the lone country where the toppling of the dictator was followed by the establishment of a stable democracy rather than either civil war or a new dictatorship or both. It was the one proverbial beacon of hope until now, as we uh, at last see a new dictatorship once again consolidating in Tunisia. President Kais Sayed seized near total powers in an autogolpe, so to speak, a self-coup in July 2021, dissolving the parliament. He next officially dissolved the Supreme Judicial Council, or the High Court, in February 2022, actually sending armed agents to seal the chamber where the body meets. So both the legislative and judicial branches were shut down and one-man rule is being established, the parliament was allowed to reconvene this march, but now seemingly domesticated and acquiescing in autocratic rule. And this year, there have been a series of arrests of opposition leaders, including, last month, the principal opposition figure in the country, Rashid Ganoushi, leader of the Enehada party, which was actually the first party to come to power after the democratic transition in 2011. He's now been detained on bogus and convenient charges of incitement against state authorities, quote, unquote. Now, the Enada party is a so-called moderate Islamist party, and Kai Is Sayed is obviously playing to secularism in opposing Enada, but his own government is also conservative, and he's also unleashing repression on the left opposition, especially the trade unions. In February of this year, key leaders of the Tunisian General Labor Union, UGTT, were arrested. The UGTT having been a powerful player in the protest movements in Tunisia over the past 12 years. And media figures and even jurists have been detained and slapped with transparently bogus charges. And last month, on uh, April 13th, there was a grim and very telling incident in which a popular professional football player, meaning soccer, of course, self-immolated in protest of the political situation in the country, Nizar Isawi burned himself to death in his home village in Kairouan region, which was an obvious and almost certainly intentional echo of the self-immolation of street vendor Mohamed Bouazi on December 17, 2010, in the city of Sidi Bouzid, in protest of police harassment and economic oppression, whose death sparked the Tunisian revolution, which in turn 
set off the series of uprisings that swept the Arab world in 2011. And this repression comes amid a very openly racist backlash against black African migrants, which has been harnessed and weaponized by the new consolidating dictatorship. Amnesty International, on March 10th of this year, called on Tunisia to put an immediate end to racist and xenophobic attacks targeting black African migrants. The violence began in early February and was exacerbated by a racially charged speech by President Syed at a National Security Council meeting on February 21st, where he said that, quote, hordes of irregular migrants from sub-Saharan Africa had come to Tunisia with all the violence, crime, and unacceptable practices that entails, end quote. Yeah, sound familiar, MAGA heads? He added that this was an unnatural situation and part of a criminal plan designed to change the demographic makeup of Tunisia and turn it into just another African country that doesn't belong to the Arab and Islamic nations anymore, quote, unquote. And you can be sure that whenever any vulnerable ethnic minority, and especially black people, are being persecuted anywhere in the world, the Jews aren't far behind. After all, who is behind the criminal plan designed to change the demographic makeup of the country? We know, don't we? Obvious echoes of the so-called Great Replacement Theory on our side of the Atlantic. So now let's turn to the question of how Tunisian Jews have fared in all of this. And first of all, who are the Tunisian Jews? Well, for starters, they have been there a very long time, certainly many centuries and even millennia. By legend, the first arrived after the destruction of the first temple in Jerusalem by the Babylonians more than five centuries before the Common Era. So these are Mizrahi, or Eastern Jews, that is to say, those who never left the greater Middle East or Mena, Middle East and North Africa. And they had a um, thriving community, principally, although not exclusively, on the island of Jerba. There was some persecution against them under Byzantine rule, but not really in the subsequent centuries of Arab and Islamic rule. Their community was augmented by the arrival of Sephardic Jews expelled from Spain after the Christian reconquest of the Iberian Peninsula in 1492. And there were some 100,000 Jews in Tunisia by that turning point year of 1948 when the State of Israel was created. But as we discussed in our podcast of April 13th, 2021, about the Yemeni Jews, 
With the creation of Israel, there was both a push and pull factor that resulted in a mass exodus of Mizrahi Jews from Arab lands to the nascent Jewish state. The pull factor was Zionist propaganda encouraging emigration, and the push factor was violence unleashed on Mizrahi Jews in Arab lands in reprisal for that being unleashed on the Palestinians by the Zionist armies in Palestine. Now, the anti-Jewish violence in Tunisia was not remotely as harsh as that in Yemen in this period, but nonetheless, almost immediately after 1948, the Jewish population of Tunisia dropped from around 100,000 to around 3,000, and has dwindled since then to perhaps 1,000 today. Jumping forward from uh, 1948, the next incident of note, unhappy incident of note, was on October 8, 1985, when three people were killed in an attack targeting Jews in Jerba's business district by a Tunisian police officer, apparently to avenge the Israeli air raid a week earlier on the PLO headquarters, then housed outside Tunis, which left some 60 Palestinians and 12 Tunisians dead. And then we jump forward to April 11th, 2002, when, far from coincidentally, the Second Intifada was raging in Palestine, and the Israeli military had just over the previous days carried out war crimes, and by some accounts, a massacre of civilians at Jenin refugee camp on the West Bank. And on that day, a gas-laden tanker truck exploded at the Griba synagogue, badly damaging the building and killing 19 people. Four Tunisians, and 14 German and French tourists, including an 11-year-old boy and an 18-month-old baby, as well as the attacker. The tanker was stopped by synagogue guards as it approached the grounds and was ordered to turn around, but the driver accelerated, it hit the outer wall, and exploded. Over the following years, authorities in France, Germany, and Spain would arrest several suspects in connection to the attack, who were said to be linked to al-Qaeda, and at least three were sentenced to prison. Interestingly, none of them ethnic Arabs, a Pakistani, a Spaniard, and a Polish convert to Islam. And then we jump forward to 2011 and the Arab Revolution. And on February 1st of that year, just two weeks after Zin al-Abidin had been overthrown and things were not quite yet stable in the country, there were widespread media reports, mostly originating in the Western wire services, Reuters, AFP, etc., that protesters had burned down an ancient synagogue in the Tunisian city of Gabes. However, Later that same day, within hours, the wire services retracted the story, saying without elaboration 
that their sources had withdrawn the accusation. And this was at the same time that the new interim government was still purging the security forces of the old regime and accusing them of carrying out provocations to try to destabilize the transition government. So it smelled like an attempt by elements of the old guard planting a rumor or perhaps even actually carrying out an attack on the Gabes synagogue to blame it on the protesters as a so-called false flag and tar the protesters as anti-Semitic. Now, it should be pointed out that exploiting anti-Semitism like this for propaganda purposes is itself anti-Semitic. That should be obvious. Even if it was a so-called false flag attack, that doesn't make it any less anti-Semitic. I also must point out the obvious problematicality of applying the term anti-Semitic to Arabs, who are themselves also Semites, acknowledged. But I am just following convention here for brevity's sake. We will return later to this semantic point. But now, to continue with the history, in May of that year, 2011, the annual Lag Bomer pilgrimage to Jerba was officially canceled for the first, and I believe the only time ever, due to security concerns, seemingly with the cooperation of the Jewish community. And then, January 9th, 2018, amid a new wave of nationwide protests, in response to an austerity package imposed by the government under pressure from the International Monetary Fund, a Jewish school on the island of Jerba was attacked with petrol bombs, causing damage but no injuries. I should make clear this did not happen in the context of a protest. There was no protest happening in Jerba. The protests were going on in Tunis and Sidi Bouzid and other cities, but it was still disconcerting that the attack happened amid the protests, as Jews are frequently scapegoated for suffering imposed by financial austerity, as we all know. But what's really interesting is that throughout all of this, the remaining Tunisian Jews have been resisting Zionist pressure to make Aliyah, that is, to emigrate to Israel. On December 7th, 2011, just a year after the outbreak of the revolution and two months after the election of the Enahada party, Israeli Vice Premier Silvan Shalom, himself born in Tunisia in 1958, issued a call for the Tunisian Jewish community to emigrate to Israel. He made this call at a ceremony in Jerusalem to honor Tunisian victims of the Holocaust, of which there were some. Tunisia was the only North African country to be occupied by Germany in World War II from November 1942 to May 1943. And the Germans never got around to deporting 
the Tunisian Jews to the European death camps, which was the plan. But they did establish forced labor camps within Tunisia, where several Jews were starved or worked to death. And at this ceremony in Jerusalem in December 2011, Shalom said, quote, I call on the Jews living in Tunisia to come and live in Israel as soon as possible, end quote. But the Tunisia Live website, which is apparently no longer online, unfortunately, offered a survey of prominent Jews in Tunisia who universally rejected Shalom's call. One, Avraham Chiche, the director of the Jewish Old Age Home in the town of La Goulette, said, quote, Sylvan Shalom needs to mind his own business and let us choose to live where we want to live instead of making publicity statements for Israel, end quote. And Rashid Ganoushi, leader of the Enehada party, echoed Chiche's sentiment in a radio interview in Arabic on a local station that December 8th, saying, quote, Jews and Muslims have been living and working together peacefully here for thousands of years. Why should we ask them to leave? End quote. When asked specifically what he thought about the future prospects of Tunisian-Israeli relations, Ganushi made his usual condemnations of the Israeli government, but said domestic policy was his main concern. Quote, Israel is an occupying state. I condemn Israel's ongoing occupation of the Palestinians. But right now, we have a constitution to draft. And the country I am concerned with most about is Tunisia. End quote. Okay, now, I am as skeptical of moderate Islamism as the next guy. But the stance articulated by Ganushi in that statement is precisely the correct one. Opposing Israel's illegal occupation and expropriation of the Palestinians while upholding the right of Tunisian Jews to a secure and dignified place in Tunisia. On February 2nd, 2012, three months after Tunisia's first post-revolutionary elections brought the Anahata party to power, the country's Jewish leaders this time told the BBC that they had no intention of making Aliyah, similarly responding to the calls from Israeli Vice Premier Sylvan Shalom. Me? I'm a Tunisian Jew, said Atun Khalifa, a senior figure in the community. I know my country well, and I'm against the proposition to leave, because no one here is afraid. I tell him, meaning Shalom, where to go? Exclamation point. End quote. <laughs> and the Jewish leader, Jacob Lelouch, who ran as an independent liberal candidate in those historic first free elections, said, quote, where would I go? To Europe? Come on. I'm not stupid. To Israel? I'm not that stupid either. End quote. Lelouch, who apparently was running Tunisia's only kosher restaurant at that time, I wonder if it is still there today, I hope so, added, quote, It's important that a Jewish man can stand in elections here, but it's not a problem. Nobody really cares. End quote. 
And it'll stay that way, inshallah. I thought to myself as I read that back in February 2012. And happily, it has. Despite the provocations of the Al-Qaeda types or the false flag operatives, as the case may be. And there was a very encouraging project a couple of years back, organized by a group calling itself I Am Your Protector, which identifies as a community of people who speak up and stand up for each other across religion, race, gender, and beliefs. To highlight the often forgotten stories of Muslims who helped Jews during the Holocaust, among those honored were two Tunisians. One was Si Ali Sakat, a kind of aristocrat, the former mayor of Tunis and a Sharif or descendant of the Prophet Muhammad, who in 1943 protected 60 Jews who had escaped from a Nazi forced labor camp by hiding them on his estate. The second was another prominent Tunisian landowner, Khaled Abdul Wahab, who was remembered for saving two Jewish families by sheltering them in stables on his farm. On December 27, 2011, the New York Times ran a commentary by one of the survivors he sheltered, a woman by the name of Ava Weissel, who wrote a criticism of the decision by Yad Vashem, Israel's official Holocaust Memorial Museum, not to include Abdul Wahab on its Righteous Among the Nations list, because it is unclear that he actually risked his life to save Jews. Check it out. The op-ed is entitled Honoring All Who Saved Jews by Ava Weissel. Very interesting reading. And finally, I'll point out that in January 2015, after four Jews were killed in an armed siege of a kosher market in Paris, then and now Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu went to Paris and made a public appeal to French Jews to emigrate to Israel, a call that was met with general indifference, if not outright repudiation, by the French Jewish community. So, a few things to uh, say in regards to all of this, just summing up. The first thing I have to say is to the Zionists, which is that the creation of the State of Israel has been a disaster, not only for the Palestinians, but also, to a lesser but still very real degree, for Jews in the Arab and Muslim countries, which had thriving Jewish communities from Morocco to Afghanistan before 1948, and now have greatly diminished Jewish communities where they haven't been purged altogether. And Israel's actions today continue to make the position of these communities more precarious. And again, we must call out the twin errors that are nearly ubiquitous in commentary on incidents such as we just witnessed in Jerba. One is to deny the context of the Gaza bombardment and the ongoing oppression and expropriation of the Palestinians. 
and portray such incidents as mere arbitrary anti-Semitism. The other is to deny the actual anti-Semitic element, as if firebombing a synagogue or shooting up a kosher market were a legitimate way to protest Israeli atrocities. It is a fact that Israel's actions are making the world a more dangerous place for Jews. And that does not excuse anyone who targets Jews for reprisal. To understand all is not to forgive all. And a second point is one that we made on our podcast of April 13, 2021, on the complete cleansing of the millennia-old indigenous Jewish community from Yemen in a wave of reprisals and persecution by the Houthi authorities who control Yemen's capital, which received shamefully little media coverage. And this point is addressed to the anti-Zionists. If you're going to lecture Jews about how we should just give up our attachment and aspiration to a state in historic Palestine and just be content with being French or Tunisian or Yemeni or whatever, you might want to raise a voice of protest when Jews are attacked in France or Tunisia or Yemen and not merely point out the context of Israeli atrocities, which comes dangerously close to being a justification. And finally, a big shout out to the Tunisian Jews who are choosing to remain in Tunisia and emphasize their indigeneity in North Africa and their shared Semitic identity with their Arab neighbors. Rather than to identify with the settler colonialist state of Israel. This has been Bill Weinberg with the Counter Vortex. Check us out online at countervortex.org. Please support us on Patreon. We happily have just reached this week our modest goal of $100 per podcast. So a big thank you to our new subscribers. Please join them. Patreon.com slash countervortex. We ask just one or two dollars per weekly podcast. Join the counter vortex, join the resistance, and rant on you next time.